Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. Understanding, again, how emotions work is a really big part of people starting to have more of a sense of emotion efficacy, right? Like, I know how to dance with my emotions. I know how to whisper. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 187. Today, we're talking about how to become an emotion whisperer with Aprilia West. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting membership, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast, dear listener. I am so glad you were here. Big news on the Raising Good Humans front. We have pre-sales are open. I know that pre-sales are open on Amazon and they may be open on other areas. So if you would like to pre-order your book, we actually have book bonuses for you. And you can find that at mindfulmamamentor.com under the tab book. It's raisinggoodhumansbook.com as well. So yay, so exciting. Oh my gosh. So Raising Good Humans is becoming so real. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Ah, as of December 1st, I will be a published author. Crazy pants. 
If you are a new listener, you probably think this might be a little crazy, but I welcome you especially to the podcast. This is going to be an awesome episode. In just a moment, I'm going to be talking sit and sitting down with Dr. Aprilia West, and she is a licensed clinical psychologist and an executive coach, and she is an expert in emotion efficacy. And I wanted to talk to her because mommy tantrums and daddy tantrums are one of our biggest downfalls as parents, right? So what if instead we could act from our values no matter what we are feeling? And so in this episode, I talked to Dr. West and she is like the emotion whisperer who is going to teach us how to take care of our difficult feelings so that we can really show up fully for life. And this is a powerful, powerful episode and some big takeaways I want you to listen for. Number one, if we try to avoid our feelings, if you try to avoid your feelings, they will control your life. People, we need to remember this. If we try to push away our feelings, they will control our lives. And number two, emotions are messengers. So they are giving us some news. There are some messengers. And then Number three, learning how to relax with our emotions is really the key. So this is such an awesome, awesome, powerful episode. I am so excited for you to listen to Dr. Aprilia West. She is amazing. And before we dive in real quick, I just want to remind you that that is Raising Good Humans pre is open for pre-order now. I am so excited about it. And um, if you go to RaisingGoodHumansBook.com or you can get the book bonuses and we're going to be having a special Raising Good Humans Live event in the Mindful Mama Facebook group too. So, so many cool things happening. So I hope you will check that out. And now join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Aprilia West. All right, Aprilia, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because you geek out on some of the one something that I geek out on, which it seems like um, how to deal with difficult feelings. And from my point of view, it seems like almost every single problem I see in the world, whether it's crazy, insane world leaders or you know tragedies, all kinds of things can go stem right back to people being unable to take care of their difficult feelings. And I wonder, you know, kind of, I know you started as a mediator and things like that, but I'm, I'm wondering what got you so interested in, in this in the first place? Yeah, well, so you mentioned mediation. I've, I have actually had a couple of careers. It took me a little while to settle in to what I finally discovered is my ultimate passion. But I was in politics and then the music industry. And so I had an opportunity to observe people in a whole range of settings and watching how differently people would respond to difficult feelings or distress and some you know, really just sort of crum would crumble and others would show up so powerfully. And I became fascinated with, you know, what makes the difference for people and how they're responding. And, you know, ultimately how we respond to our emotions in those moments of choice really become life-defining moments. So 
Um, I felt like I wanted to devote myself to something that I thought would make a difference for people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes I think people think that we have this ability to just kind of choose how we're going to feel, right? They, we just mm-hmm. believe in our willpower so much that yeah. we're just like, I will just feel this way. And can you speak a little bit to the nature of emotions and like yeah. how they arise and things like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And you make such a good point. You know, our relationship with our emotions, our beliefs about our emotions have so much to do with how we experience them and how we respond to them. And you're right that a lot of people have this false belief that somehow we can control what arises for us in terms of our thoughts, in terms of sensations in our bodies, in terms of um, the how we interpret what's going on or the urges. And I have never met anyone yet, although I haven't met the Buddha or you know the Dalai Lama, <laughs> who actually has control over what arises. What I found in my work that what people get really good at with practice and with intention is how they respond to emotion as it arises. But, but the, the idea that we can control it somehow, I think, is really a setup, and it leads to a lot of suffering for people. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, oh, what's wrong with me? I should only be able to be, yeah. I should be able to do this thing. So you say you observe this in other people, how others were responding to stress, how it made such a big difference in their lives. How about in yourself? Like what I so often see, at least for myself and so many others, is that we're, we're teaching what we really needed to learn or what we're still sure. learning, you know? And, yeah. and, and it is, was this something you were observing in your own life? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, um, I, I have a history of some early childhood trauma, but in addition to that, I'm, I'm in that sort of category of people I would describe as maybe um, more sensitive and creative, and we tend to be internally more reactive. And so I have really big feelings about a lot of things. And the way that I've learned to navigate my life powerfully is by learning how to kind of become like an emotion whisperer to myself, you know? And I think of that as a combination of self-compassion and some of the emotion efficacy therapy skills that I developed, Um, but really learning how to be able to have my emotions and stay connected to what really matters, how I want to show up and what I want to create with my life, even in the small moments, has really made a difference for me. That that's so cool. I love that the idea of becoming an emotion whisperer, and of course, self compassion has to be involved in that. Now, when when you grew up, where what were you? What did you learn from your family of origin about how to deal with difficult emotions? Did you were you relearning, um, you know, false pretenses? You know, I was really lucky. Um, both of my parents were actually in mental health and health related fields, and. We, you know, when I was growing up, it was during the time of, you know, the 70s and the women's rights and hippie movement. So I grew up listening to Free to Be You and Me. So, oh, you um, know what? I was, what? <laughs> I, I went and got, during college, I worked at a store for teachers and, uh, and um, parents, and we would play the Free to Be You and Me album, like, you know, kind of on repeat, like here and there, we'd be able to put it in. I could totally sing you all of the songs. Oh. And really wanting 
is dull. And yes, yes. Cry. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we could have a, a sing-along after the podcast <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, I love those songs. And so, you know, I was very much encouraged to feel all my feelings, even to a fault at times I would get annoyed with my mom for, you know, telling me it's all right to cry. And, and so, you know, in that sense, I was, um, I was encouraged to have my feelings. I think, you know, one of the things that really as a culture, we didn't understand how to do. And now, fortunately, with the wide acceptance of mindfulness or mindful approaches to emotions, kids are learning at a much earlier age, how to manage them, um, how to understand, you know, what does it mean to be a human who has all of these internal reactions to things? And what do you do with them? Yeah. Yeah. So, so cool. So that, that sort of leads us to emotion, emotional efficacy. So what, what is, what is emotional yeah. efficacy? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the I'm going to give you the sort of the geeky term or explanation definition of it, and then I'll say it in more clear language, but technically emotion efficacy is the ability to experience a wide range of emotions and still respond in a contextually adaptive values-based manner. So what that means to you and me is that even when you're upset, you do the shit that really matters to you. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that can change from context to context. If let's say, you know, a mom is arguing with her child and what really matters to her is holding a boundary then the way she's going to respond to feeling irritated or upset is to, you know, find the ability to calm herself, take a beat, and then, you know, hold the line and say, you know, I'm sorry that this is what you want, but we're not doing it today. In another context, it might be that she's learning to be more flexible, and that's what really matters. And in that case, she might take a breath, calm herself and say, you know what, Johnny, you're right, let's do take five minutes to play a little longer on the, on the swing set. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like in, in some, you know, in a lot of ways, it sounds so much like mindfulness meditation, you know, like the idea that, you know, as we practice on the, the mindfulness path, we are going to all these, you know, these emotions and things arise. We're not fighting them, but we are greeting them with equanimity and we're allowed, you know, giving them space, but then we're choosing how to respond from, from that place rather than just kind of being pushed and pulled by whatever that feeling is. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the first two, there's, there are five components to the emotion efficacy protocol. And the first two are really that foundation you're talking about. It's first emotion awareness where, Um, people learn to understand what does it mean to experience an emotion? You know, so many times we don't stop to think like, how do I know I'm feeling anger? Or how do I know I'm feeling confusion? Like, how does that show up for me in my thoughts and my body and my urges? And so we start by just helping people begin to understand their emotional experience better and be aware of it. And then we move into the second component, which is mindful acceptance um, which you'll recognize as being just mindfulness-based practice, which is really creating space for whatever you're experiencing instead of either resisting it or avoiding it. And then what that does is it creates the space for people to pause and really choose intentionally what their next move will be and how they want to show up. Mm-hmm. 
We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's a sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. So so this um, the emotion awareness, uh, for instance, you know, if you have someone who comes to your office and they're wanting to work on some of these things, they're wanting to have a more well-being and a better balanced life and all those things, and you say, all right, well, let's start to like feel what, what, what does your anger or whatever feel like? I imagine there, you have a lot of people who have a lot of resistance to even exploring that at all. Yeah. You know, everyone's different, of course, but, um, but for some people, emotions feel so dangerous. And what happens is over time, if we don't like the way something feels, we come up with really clever ways to avoid, you know, being present to that emotion. It's still happening, but we find ways to suppress it or push it away or distract ourselves. And then that reinforces the belief that this is bad and I can't let myself experience this or turn toward this pain. And so it, 
it takes courage to you know to do something different with something that that feels to the primal brain like a threat so for the the listener who's saying okay yeah it takes but what's the point? Like, why would I want to feel these feelings? Like if anger is arising, yeah. why would I want to feel anger? Yeah. Or like if exactly. sadness is a grief is arising, why would I even want to feel that? Like what, yeah. what is the benefit of, of becoming, having emotional awareness and, and feeling those feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's such a great question. I love talking about this with people because it's sort of like a light bulb goes on sometimes, but you know, in the olden days, when we were cavemen and cavewomen, we needed those emotions to keep us alive, right? We needed to feel threatened and, and we needed to run away and grab our children and run off the prairie when we saw the, you know, the tiger coming or we needed to freeze if we see a black bear. Um, but we've evolved past the point of those emotions always being a, an accurate indicator of what's happening for us. So, um, feeling, stopping to feel and experience the emotion allows two things. One is to understand what's happening there. Is it something real that I need to respond to? Is there an actual fire or is there just an alarm bell going off that I, that I need to either heed or silence? And two, it creates, um, it creates space for either you to surf your emotion wave, which we know when, when there's a trigger, there's, there's a natural emotion wave that results from that that will resolve on its own if we don't do the things that make it worse. Um, but it also creates a space for, okay, this is happening. Um, do I need to accept what's happening or do I need to try to change something? Okay. All right. So that in that... So we're looking at the feeling. So for the, for the devil's advocate, like we're saying, okay, you know, okay. So I'm trying to feel this feeling because I want to understand what's happening. Um, I want to create space for me to, to, to be able to surf it, right. Or to be able to have some kind of response. So what let's, what happens, what happens if we don't, what happens when we don't, you know, want to look at those yeah. things when we don't want yeah. to practice any kind of mindfulness. Right. Yeah. If we just keep avoiding our anger or sadness or whatever emotions are uncomfortable, when we do that, sometimes there's short-term relief. You know, we might feel a little bit better that, okay, I've kind of pushed that difficult thought away or, or those difficult feeling away. But what happens is our emotions then are controlling our life. And it keeps us from being able to move out of what I call the default mode, which is that mode where, you know, I feel a certain thing, I act on it, or, you know, I am sensing something or interpreting something and I'm going to respond in kind rather than stepping back and saying, okay, what really matters and what do I want to create? You know, what are my next words going to be as the result of what really matters and how I want to show up? And you cannot do that until you make space for that to be born. Um, so being able to accept emotions and sit with them. And really, I like to use the word relax with them because that's mm-hmm. kind of the opposite of what a lot of us do when we're feeling something. I like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, when we can relax with them, then something else is possible. They, they're no longer running the show. And we know, we know what it looks like when our emotions run the show because most of us do move around our lives that way. Um, and we're going to get the same thing that we're getting. Yeah. 
yeah, kind of more of the same. So I'm um, what I'm kind of hearing you say is that without any ability to look at them and to be with them, we're just we're just reactive. We're not we're not making choices, conscious choices. We're just reacting and reacting and reacting and reacting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a cycle of reactivity and and typically people don't come to me and say, oh, you know what? My life is really great. I just do whatever <laughs> I feel, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And if they did, I'd be like, great. I think our work is done here. <laughs> so <laughs> if it works for you. That's cool. That's cool. I like I like what you're saying, relax with emotions. I, I've generally been, uh, I, I've uh, been enjoying using, what um, Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh says, take care of your difficult feelings, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the idea that you're going to take care of them. Like you would take care of a small child or something like that, which I think is appropriate, but I love this idea of relax with them because it, that really is what you're doing. And it, it, you know, it also reminds me of in some ways, like you, you mentioned that the surfing the emotional wave and it will resolve itself. It reminds me of like what Jill Bolte Taylor said about emotions and the, serves the science behind emotions in that often in the brain, they're really only lasting like oftentimes like 90, 90 seconds um, for an emotion for what you're like that wave, right. To go through. That's right. That's right. And you know, I've heard different, um, different estimates of how long they last, but for a lot of people just learning that one emotion trigger typically doesn't last for more than seven minutes to really work its way all the way through. Excuse me. Um, And that's both hopeful and terrifying because, or confronting, I should say, (laughs) you know, it's hopeful because, wow, if I can learn to be a great emotion surfer, then, you know, I just need to slow it down and eventually I'll be able to reconnect, you know, with myself and what really matters and not act on that. The confronting part is that so many people have moved through live, their lives suffering, believing that, you know, these emotions were bigger than them, that they're overwhelming, that they're threatening. Um, and sometimes they can end up blaming themselves and thinking, well, I just must not have enough self-control if, if that's, mm. you know, how short an emotion wave lasts. Um, so it's, um, it's an important part, though, I think, of the understanding of, you know, your own experience to be able to say to yourself, well, if I can just let myself feel this without avoiding, distracting, ruminating, doing the other ineffective things we tend to do to sort of avoid just sitting with and relaxing with the emotion, it will resolve on its own. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that, you know, when we for hearing that sort of like less than seven minutes or less kind of thing, like in some ways, you know, I, what I would encourage the listener to say is like, Oh, if the feelings are kind of lasting a lot longer than that, then it, it's probably, probably most likely my guess is there's like ruminating happening. There's, exactly. there's like, yeah. uh, what's the, yeah. ru- what's wrong with me question is making you feel yeah. worse. And then there's mm-hmm. the, you know, there's all the different thoughts that are kind of pulling yeah. down and re-triggering the, yeah. the feelings that aren't feeling so good anyway. Yeah. All because we are not comfortable just allowing our emotional experience, right? Yeah. So, so, so often, you know, and this is what I say to people, that wave will resolve unless you do the things that grow it and make it go up higher and last longer. And so, and, and you're right that rumination is a big 
um, big coping skill that people use that's not very effective that way because you just end up going down a rabbit hole and one thing leads to the next to the next. Um, the other thing we do that um, makes emotions get bigger and last longer and, and eventually sometimes become what we call mood states, right, which are longer experiences of all these emotion triggers is that we act on the emotions. And that includes things like suppressing. So if I'm telling you don't think of a pink elephant, what do you have to do to not think about it? <laughs> you have to keep reminding yourself, don't think of the pink elephant, don't think of the pink elephant. So you end up thinking about the pink elephant. That takes a lot of energy. It maintains the, the anxiety usually. And that can go on for, you know, for a long time, uh, for days, weeks even. Uh, so understanding, again, how emotions work is a really big part of people starting to have more of a sense of emotion efficacy, right? Like, I know how to dance with my emotions. I know how to whisper my emotional brain in a way that, that works. I know how to bring, I know how to downshift when I need to. So this is later in the therapy protocol, but we move into not only connecting to what matters and how do you know in the moment, but then also when you've practiced the mindful acceptance, if you still can't figure out what really matters, then we have people use some of the DBT skills like radical acceptance or coping thoughts. And then in- What really, does DBT stand for? Yeah, sorry, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is, um, which is a really uh, well-established treatment for emotion regulation problems. Mm -hmm. and, um, and through those different skills, they're able usually to downshift their emotion um, at least into a point until they can really connect with what matters again. It's so interesting how it, it really all does, in my mind, as you explain this, like my brain is going like, wow, it really all does come back in so many ways to being in the present moment. You know, if we can be in the present moment, and accept what is, then this wave passes and, you know, mm -hmm. if we're fighting it, it makes it worse. It's, it's so, it's so fascinating. So so yeah, so you mentioned a, a couple times kind of like what comes after acceptance of that. And you talked about values-based action. So tell us a little bit more about what that is. Yeah. So values-based action is really any movement toward what matters to you. And so that can look like um, anything from reminding yourself of a thought or intention you have to um, doing some specific behavior. Let's say that you're, you're having an argument with your partner and in that moment, your intention is to be a better listener, right? So then you might just choose to be curious or ask more questions and that would be in that situation of values-based action. Um, uh, and another example might be something like, um, in uh, the workplace when your boss tells you that, you know, you just didn't get it right again, but you're feeling like he's not appreciating the work you've done, maybe a values-based action in that situation would be to ask him for more specific feedback and to be assertive about the ways in which you try to fulfill on the task. Um, and then it can be internal things too, which would be just you know, when you encounter, let's say your growth edges, you know, when I encounter disappointing things, you know, maybe you're struggling with depression, so you have that pull toward the negative rumination. 
is just to remind yourself for every sad thought that you have, because you want to move toward more balance and perspective. Um, you remind yourself of something that's working in your life or something that you appreciate or are grateful for. Mm. Yeah. So it's really this, this, this part of the therapy, we just help people learn how to do it, but it's, this is, I find a lifelong process. You know, I'm always still learning what matters to me in different contexts and it changes from, you know, from day to day, even how do I want to show up uh, in my life with myself, with others, with my work. And so it's always, it's, it's sort of like an ongoing inquiry. What really matters? How do I want to show up? Yeah, it's, as you describe it, it almost seems to me like there'd be some, there'd probably be some places like you described like that growing edge, like there'd be some places that you almost would have to decide ahead of time, right? Because I know, at least for me, when my temper takes over, like none of those nice yeah. thoughts are coming yeah. into the picture. Like I'm just like, yeah. you to my temper gets into the picture and it would really it would re- really take me it would almost take like a pattern of seeing difficulties yes I'm seeing yes. oh you know this you know I might see like this thing with my daughter is happening you know again and again I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to choose this yeah. thing according to my values, but it would almost like I would have to like fall in that hole a couple mm-hmm. times before I even was able to like decide what my values yeah. are around that. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. You might have to fall in that hole to figure it out. And and I'm glad you bring this up because one of the other skills um, that we utilize in emotion efficacy therapy is this process of visualization. It's 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 called technically covert rehearsal where we do an exposure where we ask the person to um, intentionally, you know, get into the scene where they know they're going to have this challenge come up and be triggered and describe it in as much detail as possible. And then um, mentally rehearse, you know, he's going to say this, this always triggers me. um, And then I'm going to feel this in my body You know, I'm expecting to have these thoughts um, that are going to be really seductive and I'm going to want to ruminate and go down the rabbit hole and I'm going to have the urge to, I don't know what you would do, yell at them or, you know, argue with them or leave the room. Um, And and I'm just going to practice sitting and allowing all of that to happen. And I'm going to pause and then I'm going to imagine myself saying, honey, can you tell me more about why this is so upsetting to you or, or whatever your valued action Yeah, is. yeah, even though yeah. that feels so difficult and weird and horrible, you know, oh, in that yeah. moment, it's like against the grain, right? Oh, That's it's great. so unnatural. I sometimes tell people it's sort of like when you're on a really long road trip and you've been drinking water or um, and you can't find a rest stop anywhere <laughs> and then you finally get there and you start to pee and then someone says stop. That's how (laughs) natural and against the grain it feels to do this stuff. And yet the more we do it, the more we wire our brain that it's possible. It's almost like downloading a software, you know, that you didn't have before where you have new superpowers or being in a video game where suddenly you get to the next level and now you can like do things that your emotions wouldn't naturally do. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. This this is so exciting for me, Aprilia, because I've been using that tool, which I, I can't even now remember the, the technical name of the visualization you called, yes. called it, but, but if, uh, if anyone, if any of the listeners have done the stop yelling formula, that's one of the tools there in mm. stop yelling formula, like rehearse your, yeah. how difficult it's going to feel and your skillful action instead, because yeah, like tell us a little bit more. You'll probably be able to explain it wonderfully how, how the brain works, right? Because mm. we literally are practicing. Yes. And we've been yes. practicing the unskillful thing for maybe right. years and years. Right. So oh yeah. That's why it feels yeah. so weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a really fun little quick exercise um, that's taken from a super geeky um, part of science called relational frame theory that I can use to explain this pretty quickly. Great. So if I say to you, um, let's say uh, book and chair, and then I say to you, chair, you'll say? Book. <laughs> yes, right. And if I say book, you say? Chair. And chair is? Book. Book, exactly. So it's that's so here. quick how our minds put that together. So now imagine your husband says, I'm just going to make this up, but, you know, where is my, uh, my shampoo you were going to buy me? Yeah. Right. And, and that's probably wired with something in your brain. It's probably not book or chair. <laughs> it's probably more something like, and where is my dinner that I was hoping someone else would cook me tonight. Right. Or something like that, whatever it is that, um, that stimulus of, of, you know, whatever your husband's saying to you, mm -hmm. it gets paired with either a reaction on your part, 
or a thought or even a sensation in your body. And then those, that sensation is paired with something else or the thought is paired with something else. And then pretty soon you have a loop that you do. And I'm guessing everyone listening has loops in their lives. I know I do. You know, when I'm feeling a certain way, there's certain go-to things that I like to eat or certain behaviors I use to soothe myself or, you know, when left to, when I'm in default mode, there are just these things that I don't even have to think about. They become, you know, so rote. They're they're not conscious. It sounds, this is like for, this is like when we have the toddler and you know, we start to feel like I am one big button waiting to be pushed. Like this is what you're talking about. The buttons that the button that they're pushing is that you have, you know, you've most likely been out of the parent child relationship for 30 years or whatever. And now you're in it on the other side. And, and they're saying things that are sort of triggering a loop inside you that you didn't even know you had. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, they can, yeah, they can pre-exist your, your role as a parent for sure. These are things that get wired and become part of our learning history. And as a result, they become, um, you could almost say vulnerabilities for us, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if anyone ever says to, if, if anyone ever, you know, refers to the scar that I have on my lip from a dog bite or any scar thing, that's going to trigger something in me because when I was little, I got teased about that, right? So there's a vulnerability there. And so I'm more sensitive to anything that in my brain is paired with, you know, the appearance of my face. Um, For other people, you know, it could be other things that, I don't know if you've ever talked about schemas on this podcast, but schemas are super interesting. Um, They're essentially biases or lenses um, through which we see the world. So one schema, for instance, that um, is on Jeffrey Young's schema questionnaire is uh, abandonment. And when people have a scheme of abandonment, they tend to interpret um, many aversive experiences in relationships as the other person abandoning them. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, this, this is the, exactly what you're talking about. It takes them into a loop, right? This person doesn't call me back. They must not Then it goes to the thought, they must not really like me. That might go to another thought, like, you know, people always leave me and it might trigger sensations in the body. And before you know it, they are going down that rabbit hole. And this is nothing we've chosen. I just want to underline it's automatic. It's not our fault. You do not have to work on it. No. And, (laughs) you know, one of my clients used to joke that she had such a thick abandonment schema that even when she broke up with a person, she felt abandoned. I mean, these are not (laughs) rational uh, beliefs or biases that we have. And so, you know, I think that can also be helpful. Some of the work I've been doing um, since the EET protocol came out is now um, I've been starting to help people understand more about what kind of trigger are you experiencing? Because that can be helpful. We, we usually experience distress for three reasons, as far as I can tell. Actually, four if you include physical pain. Hmm. But the other three would be you have a need that's unmet, you know, a need for either understanding or support or safety or, or even food or shelter or water. Um, the other reason we get triggered is that something we really care about or value gets threatened. And the third, third trigger is our schemas. You know, they're things that we're interpreting as somehow, um, being activated. And, and the tricky thing is that sometimes you can have a trifecta, 
You know, you can have an unmet need, a threatened value, and an activated schema all in one emotion trigger. And that well, can you could have the fourth too. You know, you have yeah, a, a child that whacks you in the oh, elbow, yes. or elbows you in the eyeball. Boom! All four yes. of those are going yes. all at once. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So being able to, but being able to um, understand what's happening for you, I think, can also be a powerful way of figuring out what it looks like to respond from you know a place of what matters to you. Because if I'm just getting triggered, it's one of my schemas, you know, um, I can soothe myself or have compassion for myself that that, you know, is a vulnerability or wound I have. And that usually is enough to calm me and and help me reconnect to what matters. Um, But if I have an unmet need, I might need to do something about that, whether it's asking myself to take better care of me, or communicating with the people around me and asking for what I need. And if I have a threatened value, then I have the opportunity to ask myself, you know, is there something I need to do to to stand up for what matters to me? Or do I need to accept, radically accept something, you know? Um, so it, again, it's, a, it's, I feel like it's a lifelong journey, getting really good at this and continuing to choose in authentic, creative ways. But um, there's just so much richness in learning to understand yourself and what you're experiencing and what you care about. And, and ultimately I feel like it moves people into um, a place of feeling more authentic and connected with themselves. Oh yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I imagine there are like, if there, if there are anything like me, there are light bulbs going off all over the place right now for the listener. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is fascinating. And I just want to underscore again, this is all stuff that is just happening. It's nothing we've chosen. The the, the distress things are nothing we've chosen. This is just happening. And so even if this is happening in the context of your adorable two-year-old that's, you know, triggering these schemas and these distress things, this is this is not your fault. So then you talk um, in your work about mindful coping. You talk about compassion. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So like you're saying, you know, we cannot get rid of the experiences that arise. And um, I think they talk a lot about this in mindfulness too. But, you know, the way we think about it with emotion efficacy therapy is there's pain in life that we can't get rid of. Um, and that's just a fact. And it, like you say, through no fault of our own, it is just painful being a human at times. But then there's this other layer of suffering that we actually do have a lot of power with. And the suffering comes largely from our inability to be with what's happening or to radically accept the way the world is or the way our lives are. Or, or what it means to be having a human experience. And so that's the part we really focus on um, with emotion efficacy therapy is how do you be a human with all the experiences that come with that um, without reacting to it or even being enslaved by your emotions and still every step of the way, moment by moment, connect to what matters to you and act on that instead. And sometimes that also means um, just having compassion for when we don't do that well, right? That, but you're approaching, you're approaching your life from a perspective of what is workable, 
you know, what, what I can do some days is different than others, depending on how I'm resourced, you know, and so maybe today my values-based action is just to be kind to myself as I go through the day. Whereas, you know, other days, my values-based action might be to really stretch myself to try and do some things that I haven't done or do some things that require more courage to take some risks. Mm. So it, it really is it's about becoming a deeper listener of your soul or, or mind or however you want to conceptualize, you know, what it means to be a self. Um, and then the way that those last two components fit in um, again, are really learning like what matters to you in different domains of your life and then being able to break that down into, you know, doable actions. So, you know, if you're a mom, just understanding like with my one child, this is really what I want to work on. This is how I want to show up, you know, for them in our relationship. Whereas with your husband, it could be something totally different. Um, and the coping skills are um, actually uh, the last component of, of EET, emotion efficacy therapy. And we do this a little differently than they're done in dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT in that we really um, sort of privilege first just learning how to relax with the emotion trigger. So we have people do that first. And then they only use the coping where you're actually trying to change something if you can't connect to what matters to you. Um, and, and that's because we come from that sort of third wave cognitive behavioral approach that says, you know, we don't have to feel good to do the things that matter. And we don't want to unwittingly teach people that, you know what, before you're able to be kind or do your values-based action, you first have to feel like doing it or feel better. Mm. Yeah. We don't have to feel good to do what matters. Mm -hmm. mm. And that that's different from the way people were sort of thinking before. We don't have to feel good. So we can kind of decide ahead of time that I am going to zip it when my child is frustrated and screaming at me, even though that feels really hard. It feels like trying to stop the pee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and, and that doesn't, it's not feeling good. It's not feeling normal. It's not feeling okay, but this is what I've decided to do. And yeah. that's, that's yeah. that, that's that coping skill. And, it, yeah. and, and that is kind of like, you know, so this is interesting. So for the listener, it'd be interesting to think about, you know, what is, what is the, you know, maybe for you, it's this, it's being kinder to yourself when things are hard and just starting, starting there or, and then, or maybe, you know, especially if you happen to be a bit of a hard ass, <laughs> and maybe if you're a little too soft on yourself, maybe it's trying to kind of say, I'm going to try to do this thing that's been really hard for me mm -hmm. and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep trying even though it feels really weird and awkward and horrible and I'm going to give myself a pat on the back and celebrate if I've done it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. And we have people practice exposures of this. So, hmm. you know, between sessions, they're going out into their lives and doing, doing this and experiencing the discomfort and, um, and then having a chance to troubleshoot what worked or what didn't work. And yeah, it's just, it's just like going to the gym where you're building the muscle, right. To do this. But I think it is often, um, 
a revelation to a lot of people that they actually don't have to feel a certain way to do the things that matter. Mm. You know? Yeah. We've, we, we tend to focus so much in our culture on how we feel, right? We're, we're sort of a quick fix culture. We have a headache. We take an Advil. We, you know, are uncomfortable with something. We, we're really good at making ourselves comfortable in our culture. And so mm-hmm. I think we've lost sight um, of the fact that actually we're very capable of doing the things that matter to us, even with thoughts like he doesn't respect me or, you know, this kid is going to end me, my patience, you know, or having anxiety or worry thoughts, we can still do the things that matter to us and just take those along with us. Um, It requires that we distinguish emotions from facts. Mm -hmm. And most often we're just in it. Like if, like we're, if there's a waterfall of emotions, we're just under the water and they are us and we are them and we just, we're just in it. And so starting with that mindfulness, like you said, is like about getting a little bit of space from that, getting, being able to see it and say, oh, okay, these are these emotions, but I can also take an action. I can also, you know, I can, I have enough space and capacity to be even be able to respond from a different place. Yeah, to respond from a different place and also sometimes to understand that the things that are painful to us tell us what we really care about. Mm. So usually if there's something, you know, going on, I'm just going back to this example with your child, you know, if something's getting triggered there, it's probably because there's something you really care about that feels either threatened or blocked in that moment. Mm. And so I think you know, learning again, when, when your emotions are schemas, you can say, okay, this is, you know, this is something that's getting triggered. That's actually not happening. It's not a fact, but other times when you have unmet needs or values, it's an opportunity to discover, you know, what really matters and to say to your child, you know, when you talk with me that way, I feel like I can't really understand what matters to you. You know, can you soften your voice a little bit and let's try this again. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I just feel like it's, it becomes such a, um, almost like a compass, right. Mm-hmm. For how to move through your life and really honoring your experience. Um, I think so, so many times in therapy, we relate to emotions as problems and I work really hard to help people understand that emotions are messengers and it's up to us to figure out, you know, what are they telling us? Are they telling us about past things that have happened or fears or biases and schemas? Are they telling us about, you know, something we're needing or valuing that's not, you know, being honored? Um, And then figuring out how to respond based on that. Uh, This is so cool. Aprilia, I could... Geek out on the stuff. Okay. Um, so I'm curious about you and yourself. Like you said, you're a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something you've, you've worked on. Do you have your own mindfulness practice? What do you do in your own life to keep yeah. yourself grounded and to give yourself the space and capacity to do this kind of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I do. Um, I wouldn't say I'm um, a big meditator, uh, but I feel like I have developed a level of self-awareness um, in the way that I just move through my life. So I'm pretty much always, for better or for worse, aware of what I'm experiencing. And so when something happens, I've, I've become really good at 
understanding like, is this a schema? Is this a need or a value? And how do I want to respond to this? Including times where I'm knowingly not doing that, <laughs> but I know I'm not um, going through my own process of, of really figuring out what matters to me. And then I have compassion for the times that I just act on my emotions too. Um, but, you know, I think doing this work, I work with people both in clinical settings and in corporate settings as a coach. And that's really a privilege for me because I'm constantly reminded and refreshed about um, the process and the content and just what it means to just be present. So I feel really lucky to, to have that in my life. I actually am um, signing up for my first silent meditation retreat in a few months, and I'm excited about that to see what that yields. Oh, that's very exciting, Aprilia. Yeah. You know, I'm not uh, sure when this will uh, go, when this podcast will go out for you, uh, for us, but um, I just went on my first silent seven day meditation retreat. I'd been on other retreats, but never a, a silent one. And and if you want, you can listen to it. It'll be on episode number 171. And oh, I talked nice. about it with Oren Sofer and it, it, the release date was June 11th. So, oh, great. Um, so yeah, you can, you can yeah. check it out if you want a preview. <laughs> <laughs> you might get a little worried from I was going to say, do I want to listen? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. cool. So I imagine you know, so you're saying that you, you practice this a lot kind of in your, in your life in general, but I'm imagining part of that includes some specific actions. Like I bet you are practicing to not reach for your cell phone. And whenever the, if those uncomfortable feelings are rising or at least all the times, right? Like I imagine there are places where you're limiting your distraction so that you can practice being present. Yeah, I definitely do that. And I have, you know, I have an, I have a certain structure, you know, like I, um, I try at nighttime to devote an hour before I go to bed to just reading. Um, I also have time in the morning with my coffee where I set intentions for the day. And that's a lot about being present and just checking in with myself and what am I needing um, that day. Um, and then I'm also practicing being present a lot. Um, I'm doing some rehab and physical therapy right now on an old injury. And so that requires taking a whole lot of thoughts and feelings with me to the gym to do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like this is very active for me. Some physical schemas there. <laughs> uh, all kinds of schemas, thoughts, sensations, urges, unmet needs. So, yeah, I have a whole litany of... <laughs> stuff going on around that. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is this has been so fascinating. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on the Mindful Mama podcast and and share this. There's there's so much here. I think that you know probably this episode deserves a re-listen <laughs> uh, because there's a lot to to learn from what you've shared. So I just want to thank okay. you for come for the work you're putting out into the world, your, your own bravery and, and mm -hmm. sharing this and, and doing this work and et cetera. It, it's really been, um, giving, given me so much energy to have this conversation with you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And it's been fun talking to you about it and a real privilege for me to, to share what I've learned and what I'm, the work that I'm doing. So thank you. Wow. 
Wow, wow. Isn't this so powerful? I mean, this whole idea about relaxing with our emotions. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. It is so, so key. And I hope that you listen to this episode again uh, and, and really take some notes because this is can be life-changing stuff. So amazing. Dear listener, you rock. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this podcast. I am so proud of you and I feel so connected and appreciative of you for doing that. And I am so hope this podcast can help, you know, be part of the um, watering those good seeds for you to really start to transform our, our challenges and let those challenges be our teachers to, to create a more compassionate and mindful world. We are part of it. We can be the change. We can do it. Um, remember that Raising Good Humans, my book is available for pre-order now. So exciting. And if you order it, go ahead and then go to raisinggoodhumansbook.com and sign up for your book bonuses. Yes. Amen. All right. I hope that you, um, I hope that you take this podcast and let it sink into your consciousness in a really deep and meaningful way. And, and I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you joy. I hope that you see all the beautiful colors that there are to see in your life this week. And I will be looking forward to talking to you again next week, where we are going to be talking to a sleep expert. Oh my gosh, a first for the Mindful Mama podcast. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you liked this episode with Aprilia West, please share it. Let me know, you know, take a screenshot of it on Instagram and share it with me, share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the very, very best way that this podcast um, gets shared. And now we have almost 400,000 downloads. So this is because of you sharing it. And that I really, really appreciate. It makes a huge, huge difference to so many people's lives. So I helping them get these powerful teachings into their lives. So thank you. So please do share it, leave reviews and all that good stuff to support the podcast. And then I will see you next week, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.